0: Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gamia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I trust that wherever you are, you are encouraged uh, to continue to follow Jesus. This week we begin a new series entitled The Church Reimagined, in which I want to explore where I believe God is inviting us to reflect on what it means to be the community of faith. In a world thrown into uncertainty by COVID-19, we know that God's plans and purposes are still certain, and our faithful response to those plans is equally important.
1: The Bible reading is from Acts 8, 1-14. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Boldly, men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks and spirits, came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them.
0: The book of Acts narrates for us the birth and development of the earliest Christian communities of faith, beginning, of course, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples and apostles in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Uh, After that point, when Peter preaches the first Christian sermon, 3,000 people come to faith, we're given this uh, really remarkable description of the church, of this community of faith. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, it says, They, the believers who had just placed their faith in Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship And this uh, description, this depiction of the early church in Acts chapter 2 is sometimes held up for us as a bit of an ideal, right? That we ought to try to attain to that kind of church experience, being devoted to the word and devoted to prayer, being devoted to each other and caring for one another with acts of big-hearted generosity, uh, experiencing the power and presence of the Holy Spirit Uh, through signs and through wonders and through the ongoing conversion of those around us who place their faith in Jesus and begin to be changed by him. And and while I would be content with our church being defined by some or all of those things, as an ideal, I actually think it falls a little bit short for us. In fact, I think that the ideal church for us to reflect on is actually the one that's described in Acts chapter 8 in that reading that we heard just a few minutes ago. In Acts chapter eight, we have a very different description of the church, but it's one that I think bears some reflection. In Acts chapter eight, we have the depiction of the church scattered, where the leadership and the responsibility for the mission and ministry of the the church is held by everyday followers of Jesus, wherever they end up going, enabled by the Holy Spirit. And, and this ideal, this picture and portrait of the church, I think, provides us with some really interesting places to reflect. Because what we see is the church is uh, finally scattered. And I say finally because the plans and purposes of Jesus were never for the church to remain in Jerusalem. The Great Commission at the end of uh, Matthew's Gospel or even some of the, um, the, the ways that Jesus spoke about what would happen next in Luke and Acts is wrapped around the disciples and the apostles being the witnesses of the work of Jesus, his death and resurrection, his teaching everywhere in the world, starting in Jerusalem. And then moving to Judea, the surrounding region, and then including Samaria, which was one step further, not just geographically, but even from a faith perspective and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so this picture in Acts chapter eight is more aligned with the plans and purposes of Jesus. And the scattering has come about just as Jesus said it would through the persecution and and opposition of those against the gospel. This is the picture and portrait of the church that becomes the norm throughout the book of Acts and even into the epistles. And as I said, bears some reflection. And this this example of the church scattered, where the leadership and responsibility for the mission of the church is placed in the hands of everyday believers, is exemplified for us in the example of Philip. This is the Philip who served as a deacon. He's identified in Acts chapter 6 uh, in the first controversy in the early community of faith, which interestingly had nothing to do with theology or doctrine, but was actually an issue of discrimination and prejudice between the Greek-speaking Jewish widows and the Hebrew-speaking Jewish widows. Perhaps a reflection for another time. And in the midst of this controversy, the apostles selected seven men of whom Philip and Stephen, who's martyred in chapter seven of Acts, are uh, are given the task of overseeing this distribution of food so that the apostles can continue to teach and preach. Now, we don't know much about Philip. We don't know when he became a believer in Jesus. We don't know, for instance, if he was one of the 72 who had followed Jesus for a fairly significant period of time, or whether he was perhaps part of that first 3000 who became followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost, or whether he was one of those whom the Lord added to their number daily. But Philip is this example for us of an everyday follower of Jesus. We're told that the church was scattered and they went, wherever they went, they preached the gospel. And this is the example given. And it's interesting to me that when Philip arrives in Samaria, when he arrives in this town, he kind of looks around and sees what's taking place, he doesn't sit down and write a letter to the apostles. He doesn't sit down and think to himself, "Okay, how do I get the apostles to come here? You know, dear Peter, James, John and the rest of you, I hope you're safe and all that sort of stuff is going well in Jerusalem. I find myself in Samaria and I think there might be a real opportunity for the gospel. There's this uh, sorcerer fellow who everyone says has the great power of God, which seems to me to be a pretty good segue to Jesus. So if one of you could find the time to come here and uh, preach the good news, I think some great stuff would happen. In fact, he takes the responsibility for the ministry himself, doesn't he? And he preaches the good news. I mean, he had been someone who had overseen the food distribution so that the apostles could preach and teach. Philip was not necessarily a teacher. He was not necessarily a preacher. But here, enabled by the Holy Spirit, he proclaims the gospel and people are saved. People place their faith in Jesus. Now, the leadership and responsibility of the apostles still functions, of course. They haven't abdicated this. And so the apostles end up in the second part of that chapter, coming to Samaria and kind of authorizing and legitimating what's taken place. They see what's happened. They pray for the believers who receive the Holy Spirit, which is the definitive sign that the Samaritans too are included in the plans and purposes of God which is pretty mind-blowing when you think about it. Of course, the mind-blowing continues when the Gentiles are included, and the apostles, again, are pretty instrumental in affirming and authorizing and giving legitimacy to the inclusion of the Gentiles. But here, Philip, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through signs and wonders and through the Word, sees people's lives changed by Jesus. He takes responsibility. He assumes leadership. And and ultimately, this event, the things that happen here in Samaria, are a turning point in the life of the early church. Things are never the same afterwards. Not just because the Samaritans had become followers of Jesus, who would have thought? Or that the Gentiles would eventually become followers of Jesus as well. But it becomes a a turning point because from this point on, the church begins to grow exponentially. I mean, let's be... Serious. I mean, Acts chapter 2 and a little, bit, a little bit later on when three and 5,000 people come to faith, that's, that, those are big numbers. But ultimately, the number of people who place their faith in Jesus increases exponentially once people like Philip, scattered from the church in Jerusalem, take the gospel wherever they are. The church can never go back to Acts chapter 2. Things have changed And the way the church looks needs to be reimagined, needs to be rethought, needs to be reconsidered as things are continuing to change and move. And we find, of course, that the church is blessed by God. At the end of uh, this sort of section, we have the story of uh, Philip with the Ethiopian, which is a remarkable tale in and of itself. Then Saul, who is perhaps better known as the Apostle Paul, is converted when Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus. But in Acts chapter nine, verse 31, we have this little report. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And and all of this, I hope, should sound just a little bit familiar to you. It's not really, I hope, much of a surprise to find out that the things that we've been talking about as a community of faith are actually found in the Bible. The idea that we've been talking about that our mission is to invite people to follow Jesus everywhere we go and in everything we do is founded on these sorts of stories The the, the church scattered and the responsibility for ministry placed in individual followers of Jesus's hands. It shouldn't surprise you that our vision is to see lives changed by Jesus. Lives changed as remarkably as Simon the sorcerer's life is changed or as the, the Gentiles are changed or as Philip or as the apostles were. And ultimately then our purpose as a community of faith to help people, to help you and I to hear and respond to the invitation of God to join in his renewing work in Jesus through the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit I mean, all of this should sound pretty familiar to you. We've been talking for a while about when we gather together or when we used to gather together as that gathering being half time, a recognition that we gather together to encourage one another, to strengthen one another for the work that God is sending us to in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our schools and businesses and workplaces. This should all sound really familiar. But I also think that there's a, a, more, a more pressing reason for us to reflect on what it means to be the community of faith like Acts chapter 8. I don't have to tell you that we've been scattered by a pandemic. It did strike me as we, that we could make a few very subtle changes and have a COVID-19 version of this passage, right? On that day, a great pandemic broke out and all except the staff were scattered across the Sutherland Shire. Uh, this is the scattering of our church. And, and while we're thankful for the online space and while we're thankful that restrictions have lifted so that we can meet in life groups, we also know that that's kind of a poor substitute for gathering together. But I hope and pray that when we return to face-to-face meetings, that we won't just return to business as usual. Now, Don't get me wrong. I'm really looking forward to the time when we can gather together again, when we can fill this space, when we can sing together. That'll be amazing. I'm looking forward to that day to be together. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we can do together that is difficult to do scattered in living rooms and kitchens and bedrooms all over the Sutherland Shire. But I do hope that we take this opportunity as a community of faith to to lean into what it might look like for us to be the community of faith in the uncertain world that we live in today. And I think that the passage in chapter 8 does invite us to, to lean into two areas in particular. The first of them is about discipleship. You know, I don't, I don't know what uh, Peter and the apostles would have been thinking about or praying about uh, after the church had been scattered. But, but I know that one of the things that I would have been thinking about One of the the questions on my heart, one of the things that I would have been praying about is the question of whether or not we had adequately prepared people to make disciples. But whether we had adequately equipped people whether we had taught them the right sorts of things so that when they were scattered, they could go on making disciples. And here's the thing about discipleship. The ultimate indicator of whether or not you have been adequately discipled is whether you can make other disciples. I think this is a pretty big challenge for us. Sometimes we assume that discipleship kind of equals knowledge. And we know lots of stuff, right? In fact, we probably know more than Philip. We've had the the advantage over Philip of actually having the New Testament written. And 2,000 years of men and women of faith reflecting on the significance and implications of uh, of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and what that means for us. The, The work of theology and doctrine. We have all of this behind us. But discipleship that is only knowledge falls short because it dies with the knowledge. Discipleship. is is only truly achieved when disciples can make disciples. And that's exactly what happens here, isn't it? Philip, again, we don't know when he came to faith. We don't know how much he knew, but we know that in reliance on the Holy Spirit, he was able to make disciples. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we're told that there's the church in Judea and Samaria, in Galilee and Samaria, that there are churches, there are new centers of belief. New communities of faith, of disciples in Jesus. As a community of faith here, you've heard me talk about our DIY approach. We kind of assume that you're doing it for yourself. We'll provide you with some teaching. We'll provide you with some life group spaces. We'll provide you with some resources. We'll give you some opportunities for ministry and service. We'll do the best that we can. But ultimately, we kind of leave the work to you. And I wonder if we've done enough. And as a community of faith, now that we have been scattered, the question of discipleship becomes all the more important, both at an individual level and at a corporate level. Are you, am I, discipled? Are we able to make disciples who make disciples? And are we doing all that we can as a community of faith to equip people for that purpose? But I think the second area to to lean into has to do with the reliance on the Holy Spirit. I mean, if we'd have the time, I'd I'd like to go through the rest of chapter eight because Philip's example is just remarkable. Not only does he demonstrate the power of the good news through signs and wonders uh, in the beginning of chapter eight, but in the second part, when he has his interaction with the Ethiopian eunuch, there are all sorts of questions that I have. Beginning with, what did it look like for the Holy Spirit to say to Philip, go stand by that chariot and stay near it. I mean, there's there's hardly enough information to know what's going to happen next. And yet somehow he understood what the Spirit was inviting him to do and took up that invitation. And again, we talk about this a fair amount, but I think as a community of faith, we need to really lean into what it means for us really, truly, deeply to be responsive to and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit so that we might take responsibility for the mission that God places before us everywhere that we have been sent. These kinds of questions, these sorts of um, issues, I think are the space that God is inviting us to reimagine as a community of faith. We are right now the church ungathered. To some degree, we will always be the church ungathered because at our best, we gather together, we're encouraged, we're equipped, we're resourced, and then we're sent back out into the mission fields that God has given to us. But right now we have an opportunity to more deeply reflect on what it looks like for us to make disciples, to be disciples, who can make disciples, and to listen carefully to the voice of the Holy Spirit. As I said, you know, I look forward to the day when we can gather together again face to face. That'd be brilliant. It'd be fantastic to be back together again. But ultimately, I hope and pray that we, don't, that we don't return to business as usual. That we don't just kind of try to go back to what it was like before. I hope, beginning now, before we ever go back, that we become more focused on making disciples, that we become more equipped to listen to the voice of the Spirit. And, and, and if we do... I think that'll have some big implications for how we gather together, what it looks like for us to to encourage one another when we can gather face to face, about what it looks like to do that even in an online space, in our life groups and connect groups and, and other spaces. So that ultimately we might be the community of faith as Jesus has always intended us to be, to go. And as we are going, make disciples of all nations to participate in the renewing, restoring work of God everywhere He sends us, through the enabling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 8 provides us with an ideal church, scattered, where the leadership and responsibility for the mission to make disciples of all nations is in the hands of every follower of Jesus as we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit everywhere we go. So join me in committing ourselves to discipleship and learning to listen to the Spirit as we seek to faithfully respond to God's invitation in these unsettled times. We'd love for you to join us for church at gbconline.org.au at our regular service times of 8.30, 10.30, or 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. You can also follow us on Facebook or visit our website at gamiabaptist.org.au. Until next time, God bless.